Miami 2022. We've been through pretty much the entirety of the college football season. One game remains. It's Ted Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. I'm Yogi Roth with Ted Robinson, Michael Molinari, of course, presented by our friends at Bent Rivers Sportsbook. So, fellas, happy new year. How we living? You've been hooping. You've been watching the Rose Bowl. How's life? Yogi, Yogi, Michael Molinari started 2022 with a glass of champagne. So this is now Champagne Michael. This is how he would like us to refer to him. Michael Molinari, lay flat seat, glass of champagne after a rigorous night of producing college basketball. Champagne Michael. Happy 2022, Michael. No complaining, but the worst live flat upgrade ever is the San Francisco to LAX flight for 37 minutes. Well, you can only get one glass of champagne on that flight. It was, uh, how's, the it was a how's, how's the Roth family? Oh, we're good. We, uh, we, we caught what everybody else caught around the world, uh, which was, of course, COVID-19 over the break. Uh, so to everybody out there, take it seriously. It's no yeah. joke. Uh, yeah. But we, we got through it. Um, and got to go to the Rose Bowl. We had multiple Christmases, right? We had grandma and the extended family in the mm-hmm. new year. So we all, we all survived that, which was fun. Uh, but we're doing well, man. It's, it's full-on off-season pretty much, uh, which means that I got the kids a ton. So a lot of trips to the park. <laughs> and it's good. So how much, how much bowl football did you watch, Yogi? I watched every snap of, of every- our <laughs> – That's what I thought. Yeah, every <laughs> single snap. I, I watched our games um, – they weren't all obviously great games other than, you know, there was two of them that were, they were kind of compelling. Uh, you look at the last one, which was being there. I'll, I'll obviously share my experience with that one was, was incredible, but overall, I think the, the whole bowl season was, was clearly underwhelming around the country, I think, which, you know, unfortunately is, is as we've talked about, going to be the trend if things okay. don't adjust a little bit. All right, if, if Michael approves, can I roll out my first soapbox? I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> so w- watching what I did, and I certainly didn't watch everything you did, Yoga, and I, I don't think Michael did either, but uh, I just – it was crystal clear to me that I, I thought my suggestion before the Bulls actually feels a lot better right now, which is take these games, cluster them, take them to neutral sites that are attractive to people, i.e. Orlando, Vegas – Phoenix, Dallas, play them four in a cluster. Kids are going to opt out. That isn't going to change. It isn't going to change. When when players decide to not play the Rose Bowl, for goodness sakes, how are we going to change that? So do it that way. And it, it, people aren't going to have to slough across the country to some place they really don't want to go to just to watch their team play. They'll go to a place that has an attraction to them outside of the football, just like our basketball tournament does in Las Vegas. And uh, and the opt out to me. I know everyone in the Pac-12 was disappointed about the record, guys. I, I can't get too worked up about it when Washington State plays and their best player and one of their best defensive players decide not to play. How am I supposed to get worked up about Washington State losing? Um, thankfully, Utah's team played, or most of its team played, and they and to me, the, the last part about that was, Yogi, you, you were there. I was so happy Utah played their game. They showed they belonged on the stage. They proved to be worthy representatives of the Pac-12 in the Rose Bowl game. The ending, the last two minutes, wasn't good. But outside of that, to me, I was so thrilled for Utah and their value to the conference by having six million people there. Yeah. Awesome. Just, just awesome. I think you missed Shreveport in your list of destinations, but that's, 
the bowl starting in 2023, I think, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, well, I, I would just, since you were there, Yogi, and I was just watching on TV, the uh, just the atmosphere of the Rose Bowl, there was nothing missing from that. And I, that's a that's definitely a credit to the Utah fans who went and showed up, but it was watching on TV, amazing game, and a, just an electric atmosphere, which was great to see as sort of the, you know, the last non- playoff bowl game we're, we're all going to watch yeah i think like there was a, so much news that happened the day of the rose bowl right you had kirk herbstreet's comments that went viral around do players love or not love the game uh everybody was talking about opt-outs of course for ohio state are they going to show up and i think where i net out on ted what you what you just described is whatever whoever the power it be is because i don't know who it is if it's the ncaa or if it's the conference commissioners like i think the power structure needs to shift in college football or there needs to be one that is actually working consistently uh, we need to have an answer to opt-outs right so whether it's clustering the games whether it's allowing freshmen to go past four games like look at the lsu game i'm sure you guys were glued in on january 6th for the lsu game um <laughs> But yeah. they, they, they had 30-some scholarship players. Right? Like Garrett Nussmeyer, Doug Nussmeyer, who we love on this show, he doesn't play in that game at quarterback because he doesn't want to burn his red shirt, which makes sense. Yeah. Let's change yeah. the rule, right? How about my beloved Pitt Panthers? I would love Keaton Slovis be eligible to play. You want to talk about entertainment around bowl games? Screw it. If he's going to have 15 practices or 12 practices, let him ride out. They're, they're down to their third quarterback in the ball game. Like at some point it becomes – to your point around like the record, who cares? I've been doing all these radio shows that have been asking, well, what do you think about the Pac-12 not winning a bowl game for two years? I don't give a rip. Like it is, it yeah. doesn't have any impact other than a lazy narrative, which is annoying. But yes, other than that, That's they're it. different teams. Look at ASU. ASU is a different team. Chip Trainum is playing linebacker for Ohio State. He wasn't playing in Las Vegas as a running back in the bowl game. They were playing Daniel Ngata, who you know, probably less than 50 snaps on the season at running back. Yeah. Yeah. Even my alma mater uh, had a you know, rough second half and lost a game that we thought they were going to win against Oklahoma state. But guess what? Notre Dame's best offensive player and best defensive player opted out of the game. So again, I'm watching and disappointed, but I can't get too worked up about it is yeah. it wasn't the team. It wasn't the same team that went 11 and one during the season Two, they're basically the two best players said I'm out of, of a New Year's Day bowl game. So to me, the the I, I you referenced the, the comments that got the buzz on New Year's Day. I mean, I don't I, I was only surprised by that comment coming from somebody who played the game. I would never make a comment. Played the game at that level, couldn't. But how do you play the game at the level of D1 power five football and not love it? How do you put yourself out there to risk? yourself on every play basically and not love it so i thought that comment just that just that was one i'm sure that as it was well i would like to think as it was coming out of his mouth he wanted to pull it back <laughs> and the thing we all learn in live is that you can't um because it was just to me that was just off and i you know i just think guys that i don't know if you disagree with me but the concept of the opt-outs is over. It's gone. It isn't coming back. So just live with it and find a workaround. And Yogi came up with a couple of things I hadn't thought about. Those are nice ideas to run through your head because this isn't going to change. Here's, here's the problem. Look at the ratings of these games, yeah. which are all still through the roof. So yeah. no one's going in the business side of this. 
as we all know, who runs 99% of the bowl games, nobody's making a change until the ratings go down and the business model doesn't work. And people still watch these games, even though, you know, the, the best players aren't necessarily out there. So at some point people are going to say, I don't want to watch this. This is turned into the pro bowl and it's just an exhibition and it's completely meaningless. But until that point comes, I don't, yeah. I don't see a, a massive change. till then. All right. Can I get out my second soapbox? <laughs> wow. 2022. Yeah, <laughs> Let me get a glass right. of champagne. Hold <laughs> <on>. <laughs> All right. So, uh, something that's why it triggered me to think this either the power structure of college football there is none that's the difference between our two major sports college basketball both men's and women's is run by the NCAA college football's not and so this is where I bring out the Brando corollary cue the godfather theme music (laughs) so when for example the CFP discussions are we going to expand the field that's no different than the five families getting together in the warehouse in the Godfather and Brando standing up and saying, okay, fellas, we all need to work together. Each of the families really only cares about their own family. And if the other family gets something, it's probably coming out of my family's pocket. So they have to find a way to work in a dynamic that really isn't designed for them to work together. What's the difference with that and the five major conferences in football? They're trying to find a way to cooperate. They're all working at it. But in essence, they're all responsible to themselves only. And one obvious, clear way to help the bowl structure would be to expand the playoffs. Automatically, you would bring more bowls into the meaningful playoff uh, model and, in theory, eliminate opt-outs from, let's say, 12 games instead of, instead of three. You know, that's, that's one obvious way. But to me, until you change the five-family power structure, it's going to be awfully hard. And I think Commissioner Klyovkov is finding that out right now in his new role, that it's a hard thing in college football because years ago, the the power conferences decided we're not letting anybody run our show. We're going to run our own show. A mutually beneficial solution has to be found, and that's going to take some creativity. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, We talk about all those things. Let me give a last thought on the opt-outs. Till you nailed it. It's not changing because we're seeing players who aren't first, second, third, fourth round picks opt out. Both corners at ASU didn't play in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like like Max Borgie didn't play in the game. Yeah, McIntosh didn't play in the game. I don't know if it was opt out or disciplinary. Um, my point is that like guys that aren't necessarily Christian McCaffrey are saying, I don't want to play. Yeah. So, so that, that has left the station to your point on everything around college football. Think about what happened yesterday. We're recording this on Friday, the 7th of January. Don't know how accurate it is, but it sounded like Charlie Batch said, Hey, Caleb Williams, come take a million dollars and come play at Eastern Michigan. Okay. So there's two things you can't do in NIL. One is pay for play. And two is incentivize payment in recruiting. Those two things, we already hear they are happening, right? If you're a lineman at Texas, you, you're going to get paid, right? If you go to BYU as a walk-on, you're going to get a scholarship, right? Like there's certain things that are already in play that are gray areas around this. And now we add that into it. And we don't have free agency anymore. We have absolute chaos. Because in free agency, as you both know, working in professional sports, you sign for a couple years of commitment. 
This is not that. In fact, this is the reverse of it. We came off the first signing day period, and I know a player who was going to sign in the Pac-12, got a sweet deal to leave the Pac-12, left the Pac-12, and I think he's going to come back next year because he's going to go get paid and then come back. Quinn Ewers left high school early, took over a mm-hmm. million dollars into Ohio State, God bless the kid, and now he's in Texas with Sark. Like, I just think that um, the whole thing, like, we can't f- keep fighting it and being like, oh, this sport's a disaster. We have to be like, okay, embrace it. It's entertaining. It's exciting. But, man, where are the guardrails? Because I'm talking to these kids that have no clue what to do. And yep. their mental health is deteriorating. And the reality of their ability is not anywhere near the reality of the evaluators in the NFL. And, and I'm just worried about that. And it's, it's making it not fun for, I think, coaches and those that are building rosters. The word commitment, almost as you just said, it doesn't seem to have much place in this sport right now between the Oklahoma Texas situation to start coaches, coaches moving before the season's even over. And it's always gets blamed on the players, but the leadership is what the players are looking at. So I don't think we can just blame the players for the fact that the word commitment seems to be non-existent in this sport right now. Yeah. Quick postscript, Yogi, three things. One um, opt outs. The other reason second, third, fourth round picks opt outs won't change because the NFL care, the NFL scouts, the NFL evaluators could care less whether a kid plays in a bowl game. So there's no penalties, what I'm saying, for a kid who thinks he's going to be even a seventh round pick or a highly sought after you penalty to not play. Charlie Batch, I saw the tweet. All I know is exactly what you talked about. I know Charlie Batch a little bit. Um, he's from Homestead, Pennsylvania, the same hometown as Bill Campbell, for whom the Campbell. Uh, I've been around Charlie. I've seen some of the things Charlie Batch has done to help kids in Homestead. He's really a committed guy. So I I don't have any idea about the the genesis of that tweet. It stunned me as much as it stunned, I'm sure, you and Michael and everybody else. But he's not – Charlie Batch is not a fly-by-night, you know, guy just throwing a million bucks around to lure some kid. There was something behind that. Um, and, And the third part is the guardrails he talked about. And that's where we're going. So we have now college football dealing with everything that pro that pro football, except pro football has structure. There's a structured free agency. You know, there's structure to everything. Players have all their rights, but it's done in a structure that helps the competitive nature of the sport. Until the five families can sit down and agree on structure, we're going to have this craziness of kid, you know, a kid walking out for whatever reason, I don't know, in the middle, of trying to make the playoffs. You're back to school. A class is going to start. Apparently, decide I'll go to Oklahoma. I just, I'm gonna, everybody's going to better deal. You, right? Where's my better deal? And Yogi, the last part you touched on too, I, I think it's really important to hone in on the mental health aspect of all this. As we slide back into this tough month of January and uh, in college basketball now, football kind of escaped it this year, but college basketball is going to live it again. And it's mentally crushing right now to people in college basketball. It's only been a week or 10 days. And if this keeps going for another couple of weeks, it's just, it, it, I fear a snowball effect. Uh, but it, as, it, as it relates to what you said, Yogi, I think that's absolutely spot on. 
is this mental health challenge that young people have faced now for 22 months and counting. And is it's triggering a lot of what we're seeing. Yeah, it's, it, there's a movie coming or it's already out. It's called National Champions. And it's a drama around the debate over paying college athletes. Mm -hmm. and it's J.K. Simmons is the lead actor. I think I texted you guys the trailer when it came out in late November. Uh, but it's basically guys yeah. saying like, hey, man, like we, we know the business of this thing. Like get us in on it. So what I hope happens, and, and this is why I love our commissioner. Uh, I got to spend a little time with him at the Rose Bowl. Uh, we have to think as a sport a little bit outside the box. And we can't live down the road of tradition, tradition, tradition in a sport where we love the tradition when it comes to, all right, how can we help players? Right, I, I'm all for uh, Jeremy Bernard, who is an elite receiver, signed at UW, uh, and then there were staff changes, and he was granted re his release. I'm all for that. I'm all for all, totally cool. Like I'm all for players who, uh, when they lose their coach, making a change. I'm all for players transferring and having not have to sit out. But I do think that we need some structure around this thing, especially around the money. Cause it's getting dicey. Like it's getting very funky around what players deals they're signing or what deals they think they're going to sign. And, and I'm, I'm really worried for that because that's what's happening. Guys are being promised things that aren't eventual realities. And what happens now where someone says, Hey, uh, Ted, you're going to get paid a hundred grand. You got to play in 14 games. So now what do we do with the bowl game? Right. And what is it? And then what, what do coaches do who are trying to do the best interest of their player and the player doesn't want to play? Like, I just think we're if you look down the road and I know our commissioner's doing it, there's some big bumps that we need to get ahead of. And, and I hope that this offseason does that, because I think it's the most yes. critical offseason in, in my history around the sport. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So well said, well said. Yeah, I mean, well said. Like, it's it's critical and mic drop. <laughs> no, exactly. I I I think the the other thing I was going to say about our commissioner that I appreciated. I don't know if you guys had a chance to read the L.A. Times article, but it's just right out front. We did that. We did the numbers. This is our football's worst performance in non-conference since 1983, and just the fact that the leader of the Pac-12 conference said that in his under in his own accord i thought was that's transparency that's true transparency so i think i have that just gave me a little bit of hope that okay we've got this our leader is willing to admit we we need to, we have work to do and i think that's the first step um so i i was i was happy to see that i thought the article had a lot of great things in it but yeah. that's the thing that struck me so Yogi, start this. How about some of these coaching? Yes. You will see hires away Coach McDonald from Utah. And remember, we were when the uh, one game, we, our crew had Utah once this year. And Kyle Whittingham was very open about Coach McDonald being the big reason Tavion Thomas settled in Utah, that the Utes kind of took a chance on him, a guy with a little bit of a checkered background, and paid off big time a great year and and lincoln riley attracts him to come to usc boy small little things both in usc and oregon about attracting pretty prominent assistant coaches to their staffs and then hours later or i guess it'd be a day later tavion thomas announces he's staying 
right? So all the speculation and chatter was, all right, is he going to go to SC, be a big mm -hmm. back and rock and Lincoln system? And, and I loved what he put out there of like, no, like I, I, the school took a chance on me too. And this is a guy who I wouldn't have been shocked if he declared for the draft, you know, but he decided to come back. I think he should be in the conversation for the top back in the country next year, uh, at least in the dialogue that we had into the preseason. So you look at them and I, I don't think Utah will lose any other coaches, but I look at Oregon staff, fellas, they've crushed it. I mean, Junior Adams is the co-offensive coordinator from Washington, the recruiter that he is, the coach that he is at receiver. They, I mean, you, um, you go down the list of coaches that they brought on. Adrian Clem, elite recruiter. Tosh Lupoy, what's he, what are he making? 1.7, I think was the announcement as the DC. I mean, from a recruiting front, I think that was the biggest concern when Mario Cristobal left because he was so, you know, they were so intense in recruiting. It might get elevated from where it was because their personalities are well known on the recruiting front and coming from the league or coming from Georgia or wherever. I mean, I, you couldn't have done much better with the staff in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Who do you, uh, right now, Yogi, give me, I'm just, just popped into my head, the North, the North and the South. Who's your, who's your favorites right now? Well, I think it's moment. Utah's league. It's Utah's league in this moment. And I say that because they're the only things I can count on today, right? I'm like, all right, Cam Rising, Brant Keithy, and, you know, Thomas, that running back we referenced, find a better trio in the league. Right? At Oregon, I would pick them in the North because of the talent. Is Bo Nix the quarterback? What's the system like? We, we're, we'll get there for their spring game and assess it. They, they still have the, they have the best player in the league and Noah Sewell in my eyes. Um, so I think they're loaded. They didn't lose a ton. Guys that they thought were going to leave or transfer, a bunch of them ended up coming back because of the staff that we referenced. So th that's where I go. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued with Oregon State. I'm intrigued with some of the transfers like that have gone to Cal. Of course, ASU returns Jaden. Um, UCLA, it sounds like they're going to have to replace a couple more coaches. If Justin Fry goes to Ohio State at the time of this recording. It's reported that he's going to go there and be the O-line coach. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Does Sean Ryan opt out? and leave early do they just elevate an analyst right they've had you know one of the better o-line coaches you could argue in the last 15 years in the sport ted you've been around him a ton with the niners he's at sc at ucla as an analyst oh, you tell me tim drevno yeah does tim drevno get elevated thanks yeah um so a lot of questions there um but, well, so yeah i'd probably go right. with those two teams all right, so let's let let me get back to where I've spent this year hammering my point about quarterbacks and how important it is, and I think where a few teams got hurt this past season by not having your quarterback ready week one. All right, let's start at Oregon. So Bo Nix, I just looked at, he actually has two years of eligibility, right? Because last year was a freebie. So he, he but he's here's a guy coming in that started thirty four. I mean, this is big time. Why he leaves Auburn, I have no idea because he's an Auburn kid. His dad played it was his quarterback at Auburn. You know, that's a different question. I don't know the answer to. Does he play for two years at Oregon? One and secondly, can Oregon do something they haven't done despite their their prominence as a program? They haven't done this since Mariota, really, which is draft or recruit a high school quarterback and develop them and not have to play the free agency. I mean, a program of Oregon stature, I, I would think you would not have to play the free agency game. Here. Yeah. Go ahead, Michael. Well, I, I was going to, are we in a world where we don't need to develop anymore? 
that's that would be my question to to Ted's statement. I don't. Is it worth spending the if you're a big enough program where you can pull other guys in they've already established themselves somewhere yeah. else? And this is the new recruiting to me. I remember we sat in with Herm Edwards at the end of the year, and he's like, "I'm just spending all my recruiting time on the portal. I'm going to bring." I believe he said, "I'm going to bring men in," and yeah. I thought that was interesting. So, Ex- except he's except he has a quarterback that's going to come back for his well, yeah, year. exactly that they developed. So yeah, it's been you know it goes back. I it, it's a ping pong game. Um, but it's, it's interesting that maybe bringing someone in isn't the end of the world. But as we've talked about all year, you have to manage the locker room situation of that. It's not the easiest thing to bring in somebody new. So. And, and again, I, and Yogi, take this one from me. But that's why I mentioned about Bo Nix could, I would just say could, play two years. To me, that's the, the failure of this thing is the one-year guy. You bring in a quarterback for one year. How does a quarterback really establish himself as a leader locker room, et cetera, when you know it's only going to be one year? I don't know. I mean, it hasn't really worked a ton. If you're yeah, really obsessed. Everybody, everybody's yeah. trying to, I think, take the Minshew example. Right? Yeah, and the Minshew one, as we all know, and, and our listeners know, was the most unique of circumstances, right? A tragic passing of the starting quarterback, projected starting quarterback, um, his personality. Like, there were just so many things that were – Perfect fits, you know, for Pullman. I look at the portal and, you know, I, I have, you know, there's only a couple Twitter accounts that have alerts on my phone. And one of them is the transfer portal. And when I look at it, I just, I'm a, <laughs> and me, I, it never, I'm a nerd. It never yeah, stops dinging. Yeah, and Molinari's. Those are the two. Um, but I, I, what I, what I, what's interesting about it, and I think UCLA is the best case study. A lot of teams have missed in the portal, right? Like, a lot of teams have netted neutral in the in the portal, uh, but not many have hit a home run. Alabama's home run, of course. They identify exactly what they want. Give me the top linebacker in the SEC out of Tennessee. Come on and be a captain and start. And now you'll see him on Monday night. We'll preview that title game here in a, in a few. Uh, UCLA, they've recruited Notre Dame, Duke, uh, like Stanford, high-profile academic institutions to get guys that come in and fit that culture. <laughs> But I look at some other places and you're like, man, yeah, a couple guys like Trevez Moore, that's going to be a great fit once he's healthy, LSU transfer for ASU. But it's not like everybody that has gone to all the places in the pack, you're saying upgrade, right? Guys leave for a reason, you know, and guys don't pan out for a reason. So I just think that I don't think it's going to be as easy as we're going to build our whole roster in the portal. My feeling is that culture still matters. And I, what yeah. do you want to call it? Like the Butler effect, the Boise State effect, like Butler and basketball is what I'm referencing, or Gonzaga and hoops. Like when you can get, you can get, you need a couple stars. Like you need a Bo Nix. That's great. Go get him. Two years. Okay. But man, the culture needs to be really strong. And, and I understand year one of a head coach making changes like that. But I think the future of the elite programs, Dabo Sweeney's never taken a transfer. We'll see what happens now. I don't know what he, where he's at as of this moment. Uh, but I still believe that like, if you can grow it from within, you'll be stronger. And can you add a couple pieces, not add 15? I, th- I just don't know if that is going to be the best thing because guys are coming in with one purpose. And it's not to win a Pac-12 title. It's get me to the league. And there's just – and I understand everyone on every roster still wants to do that. I interviewed Quentin Lake yesterday after the It Factory. I said, how many players on the team want to go to the NFL? He goes, everybody. 
everything's Everything. going. And I said, okay, nothing's changed from when I played to when you played. The problem is now is that I think coaches are going to tell the truth to players as they say, hey, I'm entering the portal because I think I can get more touches at X school and get to the league. And I think a coach is going to say, hey, bro, you're 5'11", you're running 4'6", 5'. Like, I'm not really sure wherever you go. Why don't you leverage this school's degree, get another degree, be a contributor, play 30 snaps a game, and have an awesome time within the program? And that's going to be the rub as I see this thing moving forward with the tweeners. Absolutely. And one of the best conversations, comments I heard about college football this past year was on Fox on a Saturday. It was Emmanuel Acho and Chris Peterson talking about the USC vacancy at the time, coaching vacancy, and Coach Pete going off on the very wise thing about you need to find somebody that can develop talent. And Manuel Acho coming back as the 18-year-old coming out of high school saying, there's only one thing I want to know. Can you get me to the league? Boom. There it is. Right there. And the, and the real world is Emmanuel Acho. He's talking the real world, right? Which is every kid coming to a Power 5 school believes they're going to at least get a shot. I'm going to get a shot in the league. And the head coach is thinking like a teacher, like Chris Peterson would say, I'm going to take kids and make them better. Patience? Where'd we lose that? You guys, yeah. you guys are parents. You guys have patience. I think you have to talk to the alumni who want to fire the coach after the second loss of the year to uh, see where the patience has gone. But that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I'd agree hey, with that. Oh. No, I was going to say the other thing I just realized, how is Oregon going to survive without mustache man? <laughs> Mustache man left he did. and he, he went to Miami with, with Mario. So first of all, the TV cameras are going to, they're not going to know who the head coach is anymore. Cause so we thought, I think most of, most of America thought mustache man was the head coach. He can, he can go yeah. tank top in Miami, Ted. It's warm enough. So that should be good. <laughs> hey, so what's, so Yogi, what, so what's, what do you think is the UCLA quarterback situation? Now, Dylan Gabriel, as they touched on, jumps in the portal and then jumps back out to go to Oklahoma and this, I mean, it's just to try to rationalize or explain this is insane, but let's just, this is the reality. Where does UCLA go? Is Dorian Thompson Robinson still a factor there? He's still a factor there to return. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, they also have Chase Garbers, younger brother, Ethan mm -hmm. Garbers, who played admirably when he was yeah. thrust into the Utah game against the Pac-12 champs. Uh, and then, Caleb Williams, it, UC, UCLA is a real possibility for him. People that I've talked to that are connected to that process, um, UCLA is an option, you know, and, and I get it why they would be. You know, Chip has development. Chip's really good at it, right? He's been in the NFL. Yeah. He's got a good system. He utilizes all, all the stuff that we know that we've talked about a ton on. So I don't know. I mean, we've seen them lose their tight end. Derek Sage goes to Nevada as the OC. Sounds like Justin Fry's reference is going. Uh, Chip's going to be fine. I mean, they're going to bring in elite coaches or elevate guys that are analysts currently. Uh, but that that that's one that I don't know. Like like I don't I don't know what the staff wants. I don't know what Dorian thinks. Like I've loved his development as we've talked about. This guy I remember started only one year in high school as quarterback. So does he come back and get an extra year and really have mastery with Chip and take this team from eight wins to ten wins? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I can't wait to track it, though. And I think we'll know, obviously, the deadline for the draft is coming up. So he's going to have to make a decision pretty soon.
And the other quarterback question I have is one is Cal with Chase Garbers deciding to test pro waters. Uh, any sense where Justin Wilcox goes? Yeah, so they went to the portal and they brought in a transfer from Purdue. Uh, I think it's Will Plummer's cousin, uh, his relative, uh, who played a decent amount there. I know they were in the mix for Slovis, who obviously ended up at going to Pitt. Um, and they like their young guy that they brought in um, a year ago as a freshman. So Kai Milner is his name. So I, we'll see kind of how that thing shakes out. I do know this. Justin is so engaged, so excited about the team and the program where they're at. Their wins and losses haven't been what they thought they would be the last two years due to the pandemic and just dealing with some things um, regarding that and how that impacted their team and practice and all the minutia around it. But he feels really good. Uh, he's really excited about who he has there. They, they lose Nico Romijo, who ends up going to play with Jay Kaner, not at UW, but at Fresno State, for Jeff Tedford, who's now the head coach. So mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of movement, um, which makes that Twitter handle a fun one for me to follow. <laughs> Jay, uh, Jack Plummer is the Jack Plummer uh, is the is the is the quarterback that came in the portal to Cal from Gilbert, Arizona. I didn't realize that. So he's a Phoenix area kid and uh, started the first four games of the year for Purdue this past year. So yeah, that's an experienced six foot five, good size, experienced guy for you know to start asking. Yeah, so it, it'll be fun in that regard. Arizona's done a nice job. I think QB will be a question for them. I mean, you, you go up and down the list in this league and you don't really know who's going to start next year, right? Yeah. Colorado made changes. Mike Sanford, welcome back to the league. Oh, I know all of us are big fans of him as the OC at Colorado, who is his starting quarterback. They recruited a guy who was top freshman on my board, um, who was really impressive. Uh, Josh McCown's son comes out of Colorado. They also have, of course, two quarterbacks returning that we know of on the roster. So I think you go up and down the list, it's like, Okay, I can count on Tanner McKee and Michael Wilson, but I got to see changes at the defense of Stanford. So to Michael's question of like, who's your favorite? It's like, what do you trust as of today? It's Utah. And, and that's, yeah. I think, what what we know and trust. Um, yeah, so I, I was in Tucson uh, this past week, Yoke, and this football excitement is still there because they've got a couple of transfer linebackers coming in. Eccles from USC. I think it's Solomon is his name from Michigan. Yeah. And they've offered a quarterback from Incarnate Word. How about that? <laughs> Jed Fish making a recruiting visit to Incarnate Word. Well, that quarterback from Incarnate yeah. Word has gone viral all offseason. Yep. Because he was awesome this past season. Mm -hmm. So who knows? I mean, I think Jed is still in such the infancy of that program. But look at the, what the class they signed. Third best class in the league. They get the number one receiver in California. Mm -hmm. beat Oregon on them. I mean, they – Jed Fish and the job that he's done, and I know that he caught a lot of slack on, hey, go win games before you start pumping up the program like he has. Well, I disagree. Look, he had to pump up excitement and enthusiasm and the staff and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, man, they've recruited well. I think they'll develop well. They bring in Johnny Nances in a first-time D.C. Uh, who has always recruited well. I'm, I'm pumped for – for Arizona, uh, we'll, we'll go through our previews of the season and the games in a, in a future podcast, but they did a nice job. It should, I remember it should Yogi being on the field with you waiting yeah. for coach to do the interview. And we had the DJ was there and the, the student section was packed and you felt like you just said it was the beginning of something special. You knew they weren't going to have 
the wins and losses weren't going to be there in year one, but you could feel the excitement and that's now paying dividends in recruiting. And I think it will pay dividends and wins and losses next season and seasons to come. I, I, I'm excited about what's happening at Arizona and what he's doing there. Hey, by the way, did you see uh, guys yesterday, the rebirth of the USFL? Oh yeah. Did you <laughs> see they announced their first set of head coaches, Mike Riley, is going to coach a team and Kevin Sumlin is going to coach a team. Yep. In Coach it's Riley all happening in Shreveport, right? Yogi, I, I, I right? just, I, I'm just, Michael, can you tell Champagne, Michael, I'm looking at Yogi. I'm fearful. We're not going to lose you to one of those staffs. Are we Yogi? I don't Yogi, think so. You're, gonna, you're gonna, <laughs> not going to go be the OC for Riley, are you? No, no, I, I don't, I don't see that happening right now. Right. He's in New Jersey, right? I think that was the job he took. Yes. I saw that. Yeah. I was like, he's the Texas guy, but you know, Kevin Sumlin in Houston. Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of uh, the East Coast, I know uh, this might shock a lot of our listeners, but we pay attention to football across the country. And uh, there's a national championship happening in Indianapolis. We've got a rematch of the SEC title game. Georgia Bama can. Kirby Smart be the second assistant of Nick Saban's to beat him. One happened earlier this year in Jimbo Fisher, of course, with A&M. Fellas, uh, in a nutshell, what are your thoughts on the national championship game on Monday night? I'll, I'll go first. I, the question is, will Dan Lanning be playing the national champion and the national champion runner-up in game one at Oregon next year uh, when they take on Georgia in a, a neutral game in Atlanta, I believe? Um, very neutral, but yeah. uh, yes, very neutral. But we'll see. To uh, as you mentioned, Saban 25 and one versus former assistants that's pretty amazing. They beat Georgia, yet the uh, the folks in the desert have Georgia favored by two and a half. So that's that's all kind of interesting. I think the X factor is going to be uh, uh, Brock Bowers, the tight end for Georgia, who hails from of all places Napa, California. And his parents talked about yeah, playing football, growing up between the vines. So outside I think he's going to be vines. Out, Come on. Out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside the, well, he was inside the vines, but the podcast is outside the vines. That's true. But I think uh, Brock Bowers, he's going to be a key offensively for Georgia. We know they can do it defensively, but can they? They're going to have to put points on the board. So I think yeah. if uh, I think Brock Bowers is the guy to watch for Georgia. Good. Yeah. Uh, you know, look. I mean, the the dynamic of this, and and I'm the first one to say I don't. We, we, we're so enwrapped in our conference, I can't break down X's and O's, nor should I, for this game. But you know, just a couple of big picture things. Look, the only guy that's really been able to get the better of Saban in the biggest games is Dabo Sweeney. So does Kirby Smart call Dabo Sweeney? As he called him in the last couple of weeks and said, look, they kicked my butt a couple of weeks ago. How do I, how do I flip the table on this? Um, I think the Dan Lanning question is legit. We saw this with other coaches we saw it with the Oregon staff in the bowl game. When you when the coaches are going somewhere else, aren't you know how hard is it to be all in? How hard is it for Dan Lanning to be all in? I don't know, but it's a question to me that's worth asking. And then the other part is, I'm still sitting there thinking Saban turns around, got Bill O'Brien as his OC, and he has Doug Marone as his O line coach. Two guys that have been NFL head. But it's not going to phase either of them in the slightest. They're going to be prepared. They're going to be ready. They're going to know what they have to do to counter what they assume Georgia will bring to say we're not going to let them kick our tails again. But my guess is Alabama's going to kick their tail again. I really do. 
Kirby Smart is stuck on that 0 for. He's 0 for 4 against Nick, and uh, I don't see that changing. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about in this game. Like, yeah. I, I'll say this. I'd love to see Georgia win for Dan Lanning in our mm-hmm. league. I think if you go watch the minute clip that's been viral of him in the locker room, it's awesome. You just can mm-hmm. feel a little bit of his juice. And I cannot wait to get to Eugene and spend time with him and his staff. So I'd, I'd love that to happen for the league. Here's a thought that I have around it. Um, let's just go pragmatically. And this is me coming from like the Pete Carroll school of like joy in playing. After they, after Georgia wins the semis, the team is about to dump Gatorade on Kirby Smart. He turns around because he senses it coming and says, stop. No, don't do it. We're not celebrating this. We got one more. Now, there's part of you in a school of thought. It's like, they're mission-minded, away they go. There's another part of me that's saying, are they making the next game too big? Like, in my opinion, yes, it's the natty. It's already big enough. The way you talk to coach, the players about it is, it's the next game. Because Alabama's already an elephant in the room. They already beat you, you know, already rolled you a couple weeks prior. I wonder what the psyche of Georgia players is. Is it too big of a game? Are they too tight in the game? Can they play loose and cut it loose? Are they truly mission-minded and and they're just hyper-laser focused? I don't know. But that's what I'm going to be watching early on, like the tightness of Georgia in this game. Number two, the the, the filmmaker in me, I love Stetson Bennett, the walk-on. But how fun would it be in the second half if JT Daniels trotted out (laughs) modern day versus modern day and Bryce Young? I would love that for JT and Bryce. I mean, it would be great. Um, And then my heart goes to to Bryce and Nick Saban. Of all the Nick Saban years, this has been my most enjoyable team to watch because they haven't been perfect. And he's had to really work it and develop this team all season long. Uh, And I've loved that about him. I love how... He's really gotten vulnerable around his own uh, personality and kind of, he did a great interview with Tom Rinaldo where he was like, I didn't, I saw how people were depicting me and I didn't think that was who I was. I, so I started to open up a little bit more. Like I, I felt like that Tom Coughlin moment or whatever you want to call it with Saban. So there's a part of me that is really excited for Bryce. Of course, I've known him from the Elite 11. I'd love to see him mm-hmm. cap off a Heisman and get a win. I think, Yogi, you, you hit a great point there. Uh, you talked about how big can, can you make a game too big? And I don't know Kirby smart at all, but that's a great call on your part. Cause I did see this with a guy and I'm going to say this. And I, and I mean this in, in a somewhat complimentary way. I saw that with Jim Harbaugh. And I think it played out in the semifinal game they just played. And I was with Harbaugh for four years in the NFL and Harbaugh wanted it so badly, so badly that in big games, he got a little bit like that. And some of that translates to play. Now, this is pros, and pros are much more capable, for the most part, of of getting past that and pushing that off. Are college players as easily doing that if the coach is so wants it so badly, right? And, And again, I've not been that player, but I've been around it, and I saw this happen with a guy in Jim Harbaugh who's so competitive and so driven. And he, some of the guys around him would tell me he wanted it too much and he needed to chill just a little bit. So I'm smart. That's the first thing that came into my mind. All right. So with that said, Michael, it's the new year. It's our first podcast of the new year. Like inspire us, bro. Humanity moment of the week. What you got? 
Did you? I I don't want. Did, I don't want to be alone. But did you forget the read, Yogi? I want to make sure. No, read. there's no no read. Today. Okay, no all read. Right. Just yeah. making sure. Okay. Um, well, as we all know, the Pac-12 did not participate in uh, the football playoff this year, but that's not actually true. Uh, when I saw one of the games I was watching and the first announcement of the game, Steve Strimling, who we all know as one of our Pac-12 officials was doing one of the games. And mm. I uh, I always like Steve, as the people know, the referees come to our truck before every game. We have a quick discussion about certain mechanics and how things are going to go. And what I've, I've always found about Steve is he has ability to be confident, but not cocky, which is a fine line that I think he really navigates perfectly. And most, if not all referees really know the rules back and forth. But I think what makes Steve exceptional is that he's an expert at game management and that's the flow and the teams and it's knowing knowing how to manage the game I think is important as knowing all the rules and I think that's probably why he was recognized so anyway in a senior moment uh getting prepared for this I couldn't remember which of the two games he did so I went to the internet and looked it up <laughs> and it was the Cotton Bowl Cincinnati and Alabama yeah. but Sometimes it's good to not have a great memory because the first line that was under the fact that Steve refereed that game is uh, Steve is the first out gay official to referee a national semifinal. And I was just like, wow, I, I had no idea. I, it was uh, kind of interesting and stunning to me. And I read through the rest of the article and the things that struck me is, you know, I think Steve's sexuality has almost become in a way, I don't want to say irrelevant, but not as important as it probably was years ago. And it's nice that we're getting to a place where their sexuality doesn't define a person. It's just a part of who they are. And I think that's a lot of what Steve mentioned in that article. But what also jumped out at me is what he said about why he decided to make this public. I think it was 2016. Uh, he said, the, art the articles I read about other gay people in sports each say how much they helped others. And, and Steve said, that's why I wanted to do this. I wanted to help. And I think, you know, one of the most important elements that defines humanity is doing something for others when there's no benefit for you. And in fact, you might even put yourself at risk of making your situations a little more difficult. So I just wanted to recognize Steve for obviously his professionalism on the field and congratulations for getting that assignment, but far more importantly, the character and example that he provides to everyone off the field. Uh, well said, well said. Um, Man, that is, right. You lived up to Champagne Mike there. That was very well done. <laughs> and congratulations to Steve. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we got a lot coming up, right? Coaching staffs aren't done. The portal is definitely not done. And we have what is traditionally known as signing day coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm calling it portal day. Uh, so we'll signing minute. Of... Come on, Yogi. It's <laughs> signing minute. Every minute somebody signed. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so we'll be on that one. Um, fellas, I know you got hoops. Uh, keep it moving. We love watching you. Stay safe on the road. And we'll be back in the next couple of weeks. Breaking down the latest and greatest impact. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.